0: Hey, everybody. I just need to put this uh, disclaimer in the beginning of this episode simply because um, the book that we are reviewing is written by a gender nonconforming person named J- Jacob Topia, Um and I keep throughout the episode referring to they as him. And just note that in the beginning of the book, uh, they are talking about their childhood, so they do to refer to themselves as male uh, with he-him pronouns. However, I do recognize, and I, I'm i just putting this disclaimer in here because I don't want to offend anybody, and I do realize that I am misusing uh, the pronouns that they go by, um, so I just want... I'm showing my awareness of that, and I want to put this in the beginning of the podcast just so you are aware that I'm aware that that is happening, Um, and I do correct myself throughout the podcast, but I just want to put this in here. Again, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Questioning Spectrum, and I'm your host, Christina Pecoraro. This week is going to be a little interesting. We're not doing uh, the typical I have a guest on, and that's why it's been a little while since um, I recorded an episode, and that's basically because this is going to be a book review. Uh, I've never done anything like this before, obviously, as there's there's only been, I think, like eight or nine episodes, but this kind of started... Well, first, let me introduce the book. The book is called Sissy, and it's by Jacob Tobiah. And I will tell you a little bit as we go on what the book is about, but this kind of started because, um, well, one, I saw a really good friend of mine. He was featured in one of the episodes, Will. Um, He's been reading this book, and I was like, oh, I wonder what it's about. And then my girlfriend, we were on the phone one day, and she was like, oh, have you heard of the book, Sissy? And I said, "Uh, yeah, I think so. I know a couple people have been reading it, and, like, I've been seeing it everywhere, um, like, in Bards and Noble and stuff, and that it's, like, a top pick to read, and a lot of, like, really famous people have, um, been writing reviews on it and just like really love it. And she was like, I think you should read, read it. And I was like, well, I don't know. Cause I'm not really my type of books that I like to read are like action war books, um, historical books. So for example, I, David McCullough is like one of my favorite, um, writers, uh, as, as well as, um, Eric Larson, who writes Devil in the White City, and that's one of my favorite books of all time. So that's kind of the style of books I read. And I don't really read memoirs, which is what this book is about. But I was like, you know what? I do host a podcast on Questioning the Spectrum. And this book is about a gender nonconforming person's life. They write a memoir about it. And so I kind of wanted to bring it into discussion today. I'm only halfway through the book, and the way I've been reading it is I read it with my girlfriend. We read it, like, over FaceTime because we are in a long-distance relationship. But um, so we kind of read, like, a chapter a night, and we're on Chapter 5 right now. And I was like, you know what? I think we're going to do an episode just, like, almost like a Spark notes version about this book and why I think, like, people should read it because it's so inspiring for one, but for two, very informative. And they write in a way that's very beautiful. I feel like even though I'm not a gender non-conforming person, I can relate in a lot of ways to this book. And we'll talk all about that because we're kind of going to go through the first five or the first like four chapters really, because I'm on chapter five right now. Uh, the first four chapters of this book and kind of the most or the things that I took away most. And it relates back to this podcast because in almost every chapter, they question something. And of course, this podcast is called Questioning the Spectrum. So I was like, what better than to almost do a book review about someone who's questioning? And also just to preface, which I should have prefaced in the beginning of this uh, overview of the book, of the first half of the book, Sparknotes version, is that uh, there are spoilers. So if you are looking to read the book in the future... Um, you might want to read the book before you listen to this episode. To start, I thought it would be best to kind of say what the book is about and maybe a little bit about the author and what's great is, um, they provide that. So I'm going to just like read it, uh, straight from the book itself. So here we go. Quoting from the moment a doctor in Raleigh, North Carolina, put mail on Jacob Tobias birth certificate. Everything went wrong alongside male came many other far less neutral words words that carried expectations about who jacob was and who jacob should be words like masculine and aggressive and cargo shorts and sports Uh, naturally sensitive playful creative and glitter obsessed as a child jacob was given the label sissy and the Two decades that followed, Sissy joined forces with gay, trans, non-binary, and too queer to function to become a source of pride and today a rallying cry for a much-needed gender revolution. Through revisiting their childhood and calling out the stereotypes that each of us have faced, Jacob invites us to rethink what we know about gender and offer a bold bold blueprint for a healed world, one free from gender-based trauma and bursting with trans-inclusive feminism. From Jacob's Methodist upbringing and the hallowed Duke halls of Duke University to the portrait-laden parlors of the White House, Sissy takes you on a gender odyssey you won't soon forget. Writing with the fierce honesty, wildly irreverent humor, and retching vulnerability that have made them a media sensation, Jacob shatters the long-held notion that people are easily sortable into men and women. Sissy guarantees that you'll never think about gender, both other people's and your own, the same way again. So that is what the book is about. Um, And a little bit about the author, just really quickly. Jacob Tobiah is a gender nonconforming writer, producer, and performer based in Los Angeles, as well as a member of both the Forbes 30 Under 30 and the Out 100. Jacob's writing and advocacy have been featured by MSNBC, The New York Times, uh, Time, The Guardian, and Teen Vogue among others a point foundation scholar truman scholar and member of the biden foundation advisory council for Ad- advancing lgbtq equality jacob was war- has worn high heels in the white house twice sissy is their debut memoir and that is a direct quote again from the book so that's what it's about and i'm just kind of going to jump right to it and why and it'll go along like why I relate. So in so many ways, um, again, I'm not a gender like nonconforming person or gender non-binary. I'm cisgendered. I go by she, her. Um, but I feel like, like I said, this book really does relate in so many ways. And I think to anyone that reads it, regardless of your labeling or regardless of who you are, because it takes you truly on a journey and it does really take you through how you can understand gender in so many different ways and not just the stereotypical male-female, which also kind of relates back to many of the episodes I've done, but specifically the one with Will and Maddie on femininity versus masculinity. So I'm just going to kind of jump right in. And I like this setup, so I might do this more often with other books. So, if you guys have recommendations on books you think I should read or talk about, I am more than willing um, to do that because I want to know more and learn more and dive more into questioning as as you know my life progresses. So, and as this podcast progresses, so chapter one is titled "The Girl Next Door," and basically this is just like Jacob's introductory chapter and how gender really was very freeing when you were a child. Uh, so. Like, just a direct quote from the book, they say, we expect children to be modest with their bodies. We culture our children to be ashamed of their nakedness, but there's nothing natural about that. Most kids have no problem whatsoever running around the neighborhood block, but naked and giggling. I was no ex- exception to this rule. So basically, and to end that quote, basically Jacob talks about how when he was a kid, it was his gender was very free, and he felt like he can just be who he was, and regardless of, like, I'm a boy. He was a kid, and being a kid, one of his things which he discusses is how he used to, like, pee outside in the woods and how it, like, didn't really matter because that was the most, like, natural thing to do is just, like, go to the bathroom, which is, I know, like, kind of weird to think about, but he just, like, felt very himself, Um and the point that he makes is that he hopes that one day people will feel like how they do when they're older as how they did when they were a kid because when you're a kid 4 years old you're not worried about wearing this wearing this item of clothing puts me in a gender stereotype or playing with boys puts me in a gender stereotype and playing with girls as a boy puts me in gender stereotype and vice versa I relate to this because when I was a kid, I didn't really care about that. My best friend, who's lived next door for me, my entire life is a guy. And I used to hang out, like, we used to play together all the time. You never thought, like, oh, boys can't play with girls yet at that age. Um, And it's also, like, you don't really think about things being masculine or feminine at that age either unless you're put into that box very early on. And by that, I mean, like, the types of toys that you play with. And they dive into that. Um, throughout the entire story, but he goes on to say that his femininity came as naturally as as their masculinity, and he wanted all, or they wanted all the gender that they could get in uh, possible. He loved playing with spiders and bugs, and these are direct quotes in the book. and And for every ounce of that masculinity, they had an ounce of femininity, and that's the beauty of being a child. Because, like I said before, you don't really think about it like that. I, for one, however, never played with dolls as a kid. The only doll genuinely that I had was Mulan, and he actually makes a tribute to Mulan in this book, which is another reason why I relate to him so much. But I never took her out of the box; like she stayed in the box, and that was it. Um, I played with. I was very like quote unquote tomboy. I played sports. I love to play with the guys. I like to hang out with—I had girlfriends, too, and, like, we all used to just hang out and play, like, as one unit. But you see, as, like, you get older and as you're going through your adolescence, that that does become segregated and it does become in a box almost. And you do get made fun of, which is so unfortunate when—and Jacob even talks about this—when you start getting a little bit older and you are a guy playing with only girls and you're a girl playing with only guys. You get picked on. They unfortunately were at risk or did encounter that situation numerous times. They caught themselves feeling their appearance, like who, how they looked in the mirror in terms of like his qualities, his facial structure, his body hair, and things like that. He was very much male, um, or they were very much male. And in turn, that made it very difficult for, for them to essentially be more feminine and wear more feminine clothing. And I will read a direct quote from that as well, but that's kind of where this chapter takes you. Chapter one takes you on that journey of them being at a young age and feeling very free, feeling like, and he talks about his two really good friends, Katie and Paige, how they used to play dress up together and play with dolls and like none of that really mattered. And in terms of gender stereotyping, and then when he was able to go over there to their house, he loved it because he w- they were able to just do whatever they wanted. He they were able to explore themselves um, as such a young child, Um and he even quotes from the book. Uh, I'll, I'll quote. I'll quote this from the book. It will likely take, and which I kind of reflected to before. Um, so I'll, I'll quote it. It will likely take the rest of my life to return to the gender that is free of shame. I will spend the rest of my life trying to resurrect who I was when I was four. But perhaps this is what we should all do. And that is, to me, and I'll end that quote, but that is what I'm talking about, is that how in this chapter he really dives into when you're at a young age that gender necessarily doesn't become anything until you are put into that box as you get a little bit older. And then another, this quote kind of defines the title of the book, um, Sissy. So I will quote it. Sissy was the first gender identity I ever really had. It was the first word that was ever applied to my difference. Before gay, before transgender, before gender queer or non-binary or gender non-conforming or GNC, Sissy was the first word the world ever gave me. And it was imparted to me with such shame, a scarlet letter, across to bear. The moment this label was placed on me, it burned. My brother, along with the rest of the kids in my neighborhood, my teachers, my preschool classmates, and my parents, began bullying me for my femininity, along with other boys from the neighborhood. He reiterated over and over again that it was not okay for me to be friends with girls, that hanging out with girls made me liable to get cooties. That spending time with girls was grounds for social isolation and reproach. So this is at a point in the chapter where he is starting to feel that gender becomes segregated. And for me, I related to this because I felt like the first word that almost identified me as a kid was tomboy. That is literally what I was called all the time. By parent, my parents by family members, relatives, friends. Like, I was always classified as that because, one, I was really into sports, which I know doesn't necessarily always classify you as a tomboy, but the way I dressed was more masculine. The way I still dress is more masculine, but very, like, sporty, very much, like, rough and tough as a kid. And while I don't necessarily... take that with me in adulthood I still can reflect upon that and realize that that was the first identity I was given before gay certainly and so when I read this that segment of this of this chapter I was like oh my god like immediately I related and I was like tomboy that was my identity and I remember stopping and even saying that to my girlfriend and I was like yeah that was it that was it for me Um, and that's why I think that as anyone, I think almost anyone can identify as something at an early age. Um, and he moves on in this chapter and I think that I will continue reading it, um, this part specifically because this is when he's getting a little bit older and I believe it's second grade, uh, where it's Halloween and Halloween, you can literally be anything that you want. You can be a tree. You can be, it's your day to be whoever you would like to be. Dress up as anything. And he really reflects on this point in this memory that they have. Um, and I'm just going to read it. It's page 33 in the book. For those of you that are like, want to read along, I will say page numbers. Um, page 33 in the book, they say, and I quote, as I stood there facing the great wall of identities offered by Toys R Us. I'm going to end that quote right there and just say how nostalgic that is because unfortunately it is closed." Um, I'm resuming. One costume stuck out to me above all all others. I wanted to be Pocahontas more than anything in the world. Now let me preface this story with the following: If you think that I'm in any way endorsing cultural appropriation by writing this, you should just stop reading. I swear to goddess. If I hear about any one of you reading this passage and deciding, okay, yeah, great. The moral of this story is that Jacob thinks that it's awesome for white people to dress up as Native Americans for Halloween. So I'm going to do that. I will use the power of the internet. To find out where you live and throw so many eggs at your house that it becomes a giant omelet. Or if you're vegan, I will throw so much tofu at your house that it becomes a giant tofu scramble. To the point of this passage is not that white people should dress their children as Native American for Halloween. That's basically the opposite of the point. Capiche all that being said, it was 1997. I was six years old and hadn't quite developed my political consciousness about cultural appropriation or the colonization of Americas that and subsequent genocide of Native American people at the hand of white settlers yet. I also didn't know multiplication, so I had stuff to work on. What I did know was that Pocahontas was by far the most badass Disney princess. And this is where I literally stopped kid you not, I stopped reading, and I said, whoa, 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 Mulan, I believe, is the most badass princess. Now I will literally resume the passage as I did when I was reading it. Keep in mind that Disney's transgender, butch, lesbian masterpiece Mulan wasn't released until later that year, or else I would have obviously gone with that equally problematic costume. Now, uh, immediately, I was relating to this. I'm going to continue and not so much read I just kind of wanted to preface how they go about telling the story um, with that because I feel like this next portion is very much appropriate they basically tell their mother that they want to dress up as Pocahontas in a very like slow way um but it didn't turn out great um she the, the her their mother paused and said, basically, like, no. They kind of go into saying, like, how their mother could have handled the situation better, or, and I know that that sounds odd, but more of just, like, how, what they almost wish their mother would say sounds a little bit better. And I'm going to quote this. If we've grown up in a different world, in a more perfect universe, in a less, in an alternate, less racist, less misogynistic reality, perhaps that would have been the moment where she would pause, collect her thoughts and cautiously say what needed to be said. And this is the part I'm ending that little little bit right there. This is the part where I felt like it was really important to give this passage in this chapter. I'm going to re- resume. I know that I know you are more feminine than other boys. I know you love dresses and flowers and playing with your grandmother's jewelry and I love that about you. There's absolutely nothing wrong with you. Uh, with who you are, and I will support you no matter what. But I also want to help you understand the world you're growing up in you are growing up in a world where many people your brother, your father, your classmates your peers, random strangers on the street, you name it, are going to be hostile toward you because of your femininity people are going to spend most of your life making you feel less than knowing that I want to help you make an informed decision, would you rather go as a more socially accessible costume acceptable costume like a pumpkin or some equally stupid vegetable thereby avoiding the torment of your peers or would you or are you ready to put a On a dress and bravely face the world. Whatever you choose, I will support you and love you and hug you when it feels like too much, okay? Now, that, and I'm ending that quote, that to me spoke absolute volumes because I do relate not so much on things like Halloween, because let's face it, I've literally been a doctor or chemistry teacher every day or every Halloween since as long as I could remember, except the one year when I was a child and I was Harry Potter also resume that costume later in life. But either way, um, I kind of face this almost every day because I do enjoy dressing a little bit more androgynous, and it doesn't affect my gender. I know that I'm cisgender, but I really like my appearance to be a little bit more fluid because that's what I'm comfortable in. I can be confident that my gender is female, but I can also be confident that my appearance is a little bit more fluid, and that's okay with me because I know that I'm female for me. And I can define that however I want. And I know that one day when I will raise children, I will allow them to define that as however they want and however they feel comfortable. And I know that at the end of the day, I will love and support them and be right by their side, no matter the challenges that they face um, and need help overcoming. And that's why this passage to me was so beautifully written that I believe almost any parent, and that's why I think anybody should read this book, literally was that passage right there alone in the first chapter on page 34 to 35. Um, That alone was an absolute beautiful message on how people should approach basically interacting with anybody in life and their loved ones. So that's where I'm going to basically end chapter one and kind of how he goes through understanding um what his gender is as a child, what is what what their gender is as a child, what their sex is like as a child. And he even goes on to recount a story about how he was taught the genitalias um in school and how their like parents always called them like peepees and weewees and things like that. Um, full disclosure, I think that's like incredibly inappropriate and I will tell my children what their genitalia is, like, their natural, but I also was a scientist at one point, so, like, I was a chemistry instructor, so I don't really believe in, like, sugarcoating things, like, it is what it is, but that's just my opinion. You counsel your children and people however you'd like, that's just my personal opinion, and he even recount, they even recount in the story when he talks about, when they talk about this, is that they, and their group of friends kind of like showed each other their genitals at a very very young age and how he was like what was all, they were like what was all the fuss about because it's no different like it's different but it's not different and you're also a child so like why he couldn't understand he thought that seeing a female's genitals was going to be the groundbreaking moment of why men and women were so completely different and when that moment happened for him he was like they were like, I don't understand, basically, um, which is true. Like, I don't understand why we have to be so different. So that is chapter one, and I'm going to continue. And And again, that's like all about the questioning, all the questioning that he has faced, all the lessons that they have learned, who, who he is and, and at a young age, what he was discovering and, and what he wants for his future in terms of he hopes that one day – excuse me, that he finds the peace that he had when he was four years old, free of shame, um, in their gender. So now we're going to move on to chapter two. Um, and this is going to be like a little short recount. The second chapter is nerds and wizards and Jesus. Oh my. And this chapter, I'm not necessarily going to read any passages from, um, except the fact that yeah, I'm not really going to read any passages from this chapter. When I was going over this the other day and kind of, like, picked out parts that I wanted to highlight on, I feel like this chapter is important just because it goes over the fact that as a gender non-binary person like themselves, they really felt, in as they were growing up, their connection to their faith really strongly. And I quote on page... 52 he says that his church was his refuge or the, their refuge. Um, he felt a very strong connection with his faith. They were always the best at their Sunday school and things like that. Um, they were in choir bells and, and all of these all of these different uh, groups. They joined a youth group in sixth grade and when I go to that chapter, um, their first coming out story was actually to their youth group um, council person. The person that leads their youth group minister, basically. Uh, That was their first experience in coming out, and I'm going to directly read that passage because, um, like Jerry, my cousin, who's been on two episodes already, was the first person that I came out to. He was also our youth group minister, and he handled the situation very similarly, um, so in the next chapter, he kind of prefaces by this chapter, kind of saying how they find a very strong connection in, in their faith and that they uh, end up joining the beauty pageant. And it's uh, an all-boys beauty pageant where they dress up as women. And he realizes later when he writes this, when they write this book, how it was more of a, like, making fun of situation. And they were misled almost um but he was; they were very confident in dressing up as a woman, feeling themselves, being like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna do this thing," and they end up winning. So chapter two is very like light, and it just goes over that how strong he is in his connection with his faith and why that's important, and how that even helps his journey and being in being gender nonconforming. Um, so chapter three is Inharmonious hormones, and this chapter. Kind of goes over, again, puberty. So puberty, he felt uh, a kind of a strong connection to, I would say, just because he was pretty grateful for how... They were pretty grateful at how they... I have to keep catching myself. They were pretty grateful on how they approached puberty because their... Uh, appearance as I've said before was stereotypically male very hairy chest strong bone structure things of that nature and he became less of a target for others which I felt was important to note um because he was bullied so strongly as he talks about in this book gets picked on a lot he's played with Barbies he got they got picked on a lot for that um But as he went through puberty, it was a little bit more of ironic because his puberty became like his protection almost and his male body became that protection. Um, And I'm going to quote this. uh, So I started the quote by saying, The irony of this protection is not lost on me because the thing that kept me safe as a teenager is exactly what puts me at greatest risk today. Being gender nonconforming and existing in public is tricky for everyone, but is especially tricky for male-bodied people whose bodies are very well male. Uh, They continue by saying that the most androgynous type of people can kind of be fluid and it's not as uh, alarming for the public. Like, let's say I were personally me. I'm very presently, and I would say, a little bit more fluid in my appearance, which, again, is fine for me. Um, I'm confident in that I'm working on being more confident in that, uh, because I love the way that I look. Uh, and I don't think that me being a woman can change that. I think it's totally fine for me to be a woman and kind of be androgynous in my clothing and my appearance. I think I like that about me. So, but he does say that that's tough for him. That's tough for them because they I found it hard, you know, for, for them to be like super feminine, wearing their grandmother's clip-on earrings, as they say, uh, in the book and wearing pearls and, and also having a beard. And that's tough because they walk out on the street and they're getting looked at and they're getting stared at. And it's all about a confidence thing. It's, they said earlier when, uh, he was quoting kind of what his mother would have, should have said to him or how he would have preferred the situation be handled at that time. Um, For it to just be brave and face the world that way. So that's the most important part that I've extracted from chapter three and that I related with on that. And also got an understanding of what it's like for someone who is gender nonconforming to be more presently male and also have to face the difficulties of going out as female um, and appearing more female. It's tough. And I think that that's really important to note because it's so important to just share your stories all the time Um, because they help people relate and they also help people understand. And again, that's why I believe another reason why I believe that everybody should read this book. So to move forward, kind of with this chapter. They really dive deep into uh, and again this chapter is about puberty but to kind of preface the last chapter into this chapter with them facing all of their struggles on appearance and not really knowing how to approach Um, what they wanted for themselves in that way in their journey and not really understanding it he read a book that they read a book that their mother gave them on puberty and it kind of prefaced uh it kind of talked about homosexuality very lightly um which was a very funny segment and for those of you following along it's on page 71 Uh, And you can't miss it because in bold, it says homosexuality on it. So he kind of prefaces what the book says there and quote, and they, and they quote it. Um, but I found it also really great because while they were going through all of this, they really dived deeper into their studies and learning and they were extraordinarily smart. Um, which, again, when I was reading kind of what this book was about, they graduated Duke University. So, not that that means that you're any smarter than the next person, but he, they really just focus a lot of their time into their studies. And um, they researched all that they can. He was very into uh, wizards, and they were very into, like dragon ball z which he quotes a little bit in the book um so for those of you that can kind of relate to those things i really couldn't but i found it very interesting to learn about their life in that way and kind of what they focus their energy on while they were struggling with all this stuff for me when i was struggling with my sexuality i also focused my energy on school and i focused my energy on playing sports and being the best that i could be and like I never focus my time on relationships, which again, like as I'm going through this book and I'm only in chapter five, it doesn't seem like he does that either. He doesn't focus. They don't focus their time into relationships. They're more focusing on like who they are and what that means exactly and questioning that. Um, So that's why I like another reason why I related so much. Um, And again, he talks about youth group and further, um, he talks about what it's like, how his relationship with his brother has manifested more, um, has become more of a struggle because he, you know, does play with dolls and things like that, but it also became a very strong turning point that when he was, after he was going through puberty and things, they were very well versed with boys as they were with girls and the boys almost started to like look up to Jacob a little bit especially after he won the Miss uh St. Francis pageant which was like I believe the first and only one that they had and he won that the boys started to like look up to him and be like oh you really know like women and and things like that and He kind of became like the more of the fluid, like he could be friends, they could be friends with girls and they could be friends with boys. So that I found very interesting in the book and he was almost like more looked up to. Um, And then it kind of takes a turn and he starts talking about how in middle school, which I can totally see how this could happen um, and definitely happened when I was in school, how masculinity became for the first time very violent for him. And that's at an age where, again, this is puberty. Hormones are, like, literally raging. And he did not, they did not like that, um, which I completely understand why. But that violence is very scary. Um, and they go deeper into that. And, again, for those of you following along, that starts on page 87 of the book. It's, he really just points out, they point out that at that age and I'll quote this boys try to become men way too quickly and it is very much hard like harnessed into their environment and in their environment especially depending on how they grew up in their families masculinity is something that is raging uh, or could be and they see that boys stereotypically are rough and they're tough and they you know try and like beat on each other and they Jacob talks about this like in the in this chapter how like it was very popular for them for the to like throw uh, quarters at their, each other's knuckles and how much that hurt and he was and they basically were like why would you do this like as a child like and you can't st- say boys will be boys because that isn't validated anymore. And it should never have been validated. Because at the end of the day, people are people. Regardless if you're a boy, you should be held accountable for your actions just as much as girls are. So that is where I kind of take in that chapter. um, And he moves on further from how he steered away from masculinity, how that really affected their view on masculinity. They started to explore their femininity and he, him and his good friend or them and their good friend went shopping. Her name was Meredith. Um, and they went shopping and he really loved it because it was no more, you can look, but you can't touch. And he actually got to like touch things and be super hyper feminine. Um, in there or, or at least think about it. Um, and that was a really big turning point for Jacob. Um, and I think also it's good to, and th- this, that starts on page 91. Um, it's really important for people who are not in the gender non-conforming, uh, kind of sector or identity to read because it helps you gain some insight on who they are and kind of some things that as Jacob, because not, you know, not every story is the same, but things that Jacob went through and how that really started to help him kind of open his mind to it. Um, and this was the question that I will directly quote on page 93, um, where they start to ask themselves, what do I want to look like? How do I want to dress? And this is where I began to relate. I knew that my, I know that my gender is female. Um, and again, it's like every chapter I'm able to relate to something. And I think that, and I can't speak for my girlfriend, but I believe that she also feels uh, kind of the same way, or at least gain some more insight and understanding on Jacob's story. But for me, that is something that I'm currently asking myself. Jacob was asking themselves this question in middle school. I'm asking myself that question now when I'm 20, about to be 23 years old in September. And I don't think that it's odd for me to ask that question to myself. I like that I'm asking that question to myself because it really helps me figure out that part of me that I haven't really spent so much time figuring out before. How I want to start feeling comfortable in my feminine appearance, but also be comfortable in my androgynous appearance. How I really want to push those boundaries. And I want to be able to go into a store and not... There have been times where I have, full disclosure, walked past the men's section, and have been like, oh, I really wish they made stuff like this, but for women. But in reality, why does it matter? There are some things I would never put on my body because... I just wouldn't, but I'm a very like fashion forward type person. I really love fashion, but, um, and I've always loved fashion. I used to be the type of kid that literally would watch America's Next Top Model every episode. I could probably recite every single word I knew all the winners I knew I would read Vogue all the time and just like flip through the pages and I loved it I love knowing every single designer I loved knowing the new trends that were coming out that was my favorite thing and since getting older I've steered away from it and after reading this book and reading this chapter I like reflected on that and I was like oh my gosh where did that go Where did that go for me? I want to get that back. I want to get excited about it. I want to push the boundaries. Fashion pushes boundaries all the time. It pushes boundaries on your gender. It pushes boundaries on your appearance. It pushes the world's boundaries. Just as much as equal rights activists push boundaries on why men and women deserve equal rights, fashion does that about how men and women can dress the same. For example, the kind of trend of, like, K-pop and the Korean pop world, Um, those bands, BTS, Blackpink, um, they push boundaries on gender, like, nonconformity all the time. The way that they dress is super androgynous, and that's where I started looking and being like, I want to be confident like that. That's how I want to dress. I can be confident in my female gender and also be confident in my androgynous appearance, and that is where I related to that. That was kind of a rant, but where I related to that aspect of the book um, and what I saw for myself. And then within this chapter three was this turning point of Jacob saying, what's next for me? Which is something that I preface in the first episode of this podcast. Step one for him was to come out and step two for him was to buy some glitter, probably. And that's on page 97, a direct quote. Um, And also he kind of talks about how Back then, there were no labeling. There wasn't, it wasn't really popular to label yourself as trans, genderqueer, gender, gender non conforming, non binary, or gender fluid. So, therefore, they chose the word gay. In um, chapter four, which starts part two of the book, Teenage Dreams. Is his first coming out story. And that's kind of where I'm going to end. Like this chapter is where I'll end this episode of the podcast. And I will be doing a part two to finish out the book. I just have to finish the book. Um, And I want to read more books. So, but anyway. Chapter four, a very dramatic first coming out. I'm going to uh, read this first uh paragraph that he starts off with because i believe it's very important as i've kind of said that a lot throughout this first episode but it is um and i quote for gen for queer and trans people life in the closet can be nasty business it's not it's not just the experience of withholding your identity from people you love living a half truth while you navigate the world as someone else that is traumatic it's also the way we talk about the period of our lives that limiting metaphors we use to structure our self-knowledge. As a kid, I didn't pause for a moment to think about whether the metaphor of the closet worked for me. I took the closet as a shameful for granted part of my epidemiological reality. And I end that quote. Jacob starts to, um, transform that chapter by saying that coming out of the closet really should be That people are coming out of their shells. And I was like, that's freaking beautiful. I can completely relate. Because coming out of the closet has always been... uh, It's a very old term. And I think that we should take it as more of a metamorphosis. As Jacob talks about in this chapter. Uh, You coming out is a metamorphosis on your life. Um, You're becoming more of who you are. You're not just stepping out of the world. Like Coming out of the closet is always referred to as... Something that you will be doing for the rest of your life. You constantly have to open the door, peek out, say, is it safe for me to do this here? And then go back in if it's not. And that is something that drives me crazy. And it's also something that I understand I do sometimes. I've been in places where, and especially even like when I first came out ever, I had to check myself and be like, is it safe for me to do that here? I have a partner now, and like they're, uh, they live in the South, and um, there have been areas that we've gone to, that, excuse me, that we've gone to where she's prefaced to me that it's not really safe for LGBTQ community to like be out comfortably here. And I'm like, while that's true and that's very sad, it, it, it the fact of the matter is, it's sad. But, That kind of deviates from the point of this chapter, and this chapter is to be uh, really talked about in a way that it is a metamorphosis. And this first coming out story was to his um, youth group minister, Um, but he asks himself questions, and I quote, As with most complicated questions in my life at that time, I turned to the church for answers. Despite its setbacks, church youth group was where I first learned what it meant to embrace the more complicated facets of my identity. In fact, youth group was the first place in my life where I came out as gay. In sixth grade, I reached out to Jamie, our assistant youth pastor, and told her I had something I wanted to talk to her about. And I end quote. Um... I'm going to continue by literally saying his first coming out story and I'm not going to actually read the coming out story he says to his parents because I believe that this chapter and I think Jacob could even probably back me up in saying this but this is the story that he overlooks sometimes but should appreciate and they even say that in this book in this chapter whereas his parents story he changes that not that he changes the story but he changes the way he says it to people all the time. He doesn't give people the details of his parents' story all to everyone that asks him. He kind of picks and chooses, and more often than not, he usually just goes they usually just go with my mom was great, my dad had a hard time, but he's coming through. Basically is like what happened or and what he they say to people. But I'm going to read the story specifically that makes him feel one, very connected to his faith, and two, confident in his metamorphosis. And I'm going to quote. Coming out to her, was simulata- uh, to Jamie, uh, was simultaneously the most rational and irrational thing I could do. It made no sense. It made perfect sense. I had to get out with it. Sitting on the couch in the coffee house, I told her I was gay. Then no one else knew that I just needed to tell someone. Looking back at that moment, I can't imagine... I can't begin to imagine how hard this was for her. I can't imagine that w- I what I would have done if, as an adult in Cary, North Carolina in 2004, I had a 12-year-old come out to me. But somehow, Jamie knew what to do. She asked, "'Have you told your parents yet?' He's, Jacob said, "'I'm not ready to tell them. I don't think I'll tell them for a while. I don't think they'd be ready to hear it. They'd probably think it was a phase or something.' She says, "'That's okay, Jacob. You don't have to tell them until you're ready.' You don't have to tell anyone until you're ready. And they pause. I'm going to then read the prayer that um, Jamie says with Jacob. And I'm going to end there. I quote, Dear Lord, and this is Jamie saying the prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for the light that Jacob brings onto this world for all that he is and for all that he will become. We ask that you bless him and guide him along this journey, uh, along his journey, that you comfort him and walk beside him down this road. We also ask that you give Jacob the wisdom and love to be courageous, that through him others may learn of your love for them. Amen. And that, I will end the quote there, is why I loved going to youth group. Um, I love that my cousin was the youth minister. He, I believe very strongly and confidently that if someone had come out to him, and I'm sure people have besides me, um, in youth group, that that is how he would have led the situation. Absolutely. Wholeheartedly. I believe all youth group, um, ministers, pastors, the like lead, um, the conversation of homosexuality, uh, being gender non-binary, being queer, any aspect or identity of the LGBTQ community in the way that Jamie does in this chapter. Because Jacob even, and I quote, They state, what coming out to Jamie really did was give me permission to be patient with myself. I'd done it once. I'd popped my head out of the closet and said to someone who is very important to me, hey, I'm in here, just wanted to let you know. Then immediately ran back inside and shut the door. I'd poke my head out of my shell just long enough for my weird, snaily eyes to to see the garden around me. And I end quote there. Um... That's very important for people who especially attend youth group to want to feel like they belong, um, to want to feel like that it's normal, to want to feel accepted in their faith. That is so incredibly important because no person, regardless of their gender or their gender, their identity, their sexuality, should ever feel like they cannot enter the walls of a church, that they cannot enter the walls of a youth group leading, they cannot, or a youth group... um, situation or club or anything like that because of how they identify they should be welcomed with open arms you should be welcomed in a family with open arms and I have to say confidently that when I was entering when I in my years of youth group that that was very much the situation then and I hope it is to this day and if it's not then be the person that makes that change be the person that says I want to make this place better I want to make this place welcoming to anybody um because that is something that people do struggle with especially people that have a grown up in a family where religion is very important um it surrounds their lives and it becomes a part of their environment and being someone like myself who is of the lgbtq community that was something that i struggled with feeling like i couldn't be accepted in my own church feeling like i couldn't and i'm catholic um feeling like I wouldn't be accepted in my family because my, I am now a sexuality, which has been deemed at at points and still is, is is something that's not really accepted uh, within the faith. But you know what, at the end of the day, and that's not, and everybody's situation is different. If you are not in a faith that is completely and 100% okay. Um, But whatever you do believe or do not believe, I hope that you do feel accepted at the end of the day. Uh, and that is why I think Jacob's memoir can resonate with anyone. Uh, that concludes my mid review of this book. Um, it's not so much a review because I freaking love it. So it's like very biased, but, um, it more of just aspects of the way people relate. Uh, and that is where I kind of will end And catch me next time. I don't know if I'm going to have a guest next time. Or I don't know if I'm going to do another review of this book uh, the next time. I think I'm going to do like a two-parter. And when I finish the book, I will do another episode. And I'm also going to preface by saying that yes, I haven't. I've said that word a lot. But I haven't been doing my two weeks. And I think that's because I'm giving time for myself to allow myself to be creative, allow myself to push the boundaries, and allow myself to keep being passionate about this thing, about doing this podcast, about allowing people to feel like they have a space to listen and want to be a part. Um, And those things don't have timelines. Those things don't have social pressures. And that is something that my family um who supported me so much along this journey and my partner who has also done the same there is no pressure in continuously releasing content because this is not about contents or views or clicks or listens this is about just sharing stories um and those things don't have timelines those things don't have time frames uh those things don't have any sort of constraints we are fluid and when i release an episode you will know um, And I hope that you still continue to listen because what's important is that we love and accept one another no matter what. And we keep those boundaries open and our hearts open. Thank you guys so much again. I hope you really enjoyed this episode as much as I really enjoyed recording it. Um, Stay tuned for next time.